0: Good morning. Welcome.
1: We've been uh, studying Acts for the last several weeks since the beginning of the year. We, we started off following and tracking along the gospel project, um, those focal passages, and kind of synchronizing the, the messages with the Sunday school classes. And then, now that, now that we've moved on, we didn't want to leave Acts. We're not done. So we've, we're backing up to the beginning, and we're going to walk through the book chapter by chapter. And uh, we started that last week with Acts chapter 1. Today is Acts chapter 2. Um, we have one day allocated to Acts chapter 2, so please don't be too disappointed when, when I leave some things out. <laughs> it's a very rich chapter. There's a lot going on. Um, but... You could really make the whole series probably just on this one chapter. There's so much. Let's, let's pray and then uh, uh, and then get started. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning, for this church, for the place you've given us to meet. Thank you for the, all the people that you've gathered together. Um, Father, by your plan, people are here. Um, whether we realize that or not, you have a purpose for every meeting and for every, everything that you do. We, I pray, Father, that you'll, you'll use these words and use Your Word to, to bless people, to challenge people, to convict, to reassure. Father, use it to move our hearts toward You in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, so in chapter 2, we really have uh, three, three key things going on. The third thing I'm pretty much going to leave out, actually. Um, but we have, we have the, the Pentecost, we have the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, um, I want to talk about that for a little bit, and then we have Peter's sermon, that directly, immediately follows that pouring out. And then the third thing that we have, sort of tucked, it, tucked at the end of the chapter there, is a little, a little description of kind of how the church operated in, uh, in those early days, and that's the part that I'm not really going to get into, even though books have been written about it, and. And if you remember back, you know, some of you may not remember, but there was actually a whole uh, a band that named themselves the second chapter of Acts just because of the richness of this chapter and, and the, the power of the Spirit and everything. They wanted to call attention to that by the name of their band. But, um, so there's three things that I want to emphasize today. The Holy Spirit comes in power. The Holy Spirit comes in power. Um, the Holy Spirit, when He comes... He calls and empowers believers to speak. And when He comes, He calls and empowers believers to act. So we have the Holy Spirit coming in power and coming to empower believers to speak and to act. Those are the three kind of anchors that I want to walk through this this text this morning. Um, I'm going to go ahead, even though it's a lot of text, I'm going to go ahead and read the first um, many verses. So if you want to turn with me, I'm going to read actually the first 41 verses. So that's a lot. But we can do this. Because it's narrative. It's, it's, uh, it all sets the stage. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy... For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens. He himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And he concludes, Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, And then we're added to that day about three thousand souls. That's a lot. That's a lot. But I wanted—I just wanted to give it out literally, uh, because it's the first—the first great Christian sermon that we see in the Scripture. You know, there are there are sermons in the Old Testament. Moses, the whole book of Deuteronomy is basically one giant sermon. We have the prophets giving speeches. We have all kinds of examples. We have John, we have Jesus giving sermons, but Jesus' sermons are kind of unique. Um, they're, they're announcing the coming of the kingdom, they're teaching they're teaching principles and they're sometimes in a veiled way explaining what it means his presence means. But Peter's spelling it out. Peter's lifting the veil and explaining, this is prophecy fulfilled. Jesus is the Messiah, He's the one, and now God has proven. God has attested God has has demonstrated he's the one and this is what we got to do and uh, the first the first great Christian sermon and we see more in Acts because uh, Stephen will speak even longer than Peter did um, but I wanted to just lay that out there and I want to talk a little bit first of all now about the, the coming of the Holy Spirit because that's the first part of the chapter so the spirit came and how did he come well he came suddenly. He came of His own volition. And notice that I'm saying He and His. The Spirit came of His own volition. In John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And He told Nicodemus what? That you must be born again. But, but what, did he, what, what was He talking about with Nicodemus and explaining? He said, I'm going I'm to read it really quickly. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The point that I want to make there is the Spirit, as part of the Trinity, the Spirit is God. The Spirit has a will. The Spirit has, has His own volition and He does things. We do not simply call upon the Spirit to come execute our will. Right? The Spirit does what it wills. And we're along for the ride. And so, in this case, what we see is people waiting in a house and the Spirit coming in a mighty rushing wind. Now, who did He come to? So He came on His own volition. Who did He come to? He came to believers, to people who were faithfully and obediently waiting. Jesus had told His, told his disciples, wait for Me in Jerusalem, and I'm going to send the Spirit, but wait. And that's what they did. They obediently waited. So he sent the Spirit. The Spirit came. And the other interesting thing as I I think about this. He came inside the house where they were. And we don't usually think of a mighty rushing wind coming inside a house. But that's what happened. Then the Spirit brought. What did he bring with him? He he brought a promised blessing. Because the Spirit was announced beforehand. It wasn't a complete surprise. although, Although I'm sure that it was amazing. Jesus had promised it and Joel had promised it back in the old testament but he brought blessing and he showed it with tongues of fire tongues of fire resting on each person what does this even mean tongues of fire well fire represents passion it represents heat it can represent affection it represents power certainly it can represent purification right we see that in the old testament that fire fire purifies These tongues of fire came and rested on each person. And they began speaking and testifying about the mighty works of God. And this is what it says. As the Spirit gave them utterance. So they weren't just merely, oh, I've got some clever ideas now that I've seen the Spirit. No, the Spirit was moving through them. He was giving them words. To the point where the people nearby heard the sound. And I think this is interesting because it says the people heard the sound. What, What sound did they hear? Did they hear the mighty rushing wind or did they hear the people speaking? It's not exactly clear. But the, but the way it seems to me is it sounds like what they heard was the people speaking. and Because that's what they react to and that's what they comment on. They marvel at the Galileans. These Galileans from the country up north. And these are, these are people who have a, a particular accent that they can identify. right? But now something's different. Because when they speak, these foreigners hear their own language coming from these Galileans. It's amazing. And they, they recognize what's going on and they're wondering and they're marveling at it. Although some of them are even cracking jokes because that's what we do when we get uncomfortable, don't we?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, it's really uncomfortable to see some country boy from Galilee with his country accent, but now he's, he's speaking Roman Latin or he's speaking Egyptian and you didn't think he could do that and you're uncomfortable. What's going on here? This is really, really strange. So what is the joke? Ha ha, they're drunk. Well, clearly they're not drunk. But the, but the Holy Spirit comes in power. That's the principle here. The Spirit comes in power and he brings, he brings the power. Like this, the sound that we hear signifies the power. The flames signify the power. The speech of these people signify power. And I've never been in a tornado or a hurricane, but I know that some of us have. <laughs> and, and I've heard stories about it, that there's this, this sound of a freight train. Um, because there's just a raw power of nature that's coming. And, and this is kind of what's described here. The sound of a mighty rushing wind inside the house. It, it is amazing. Remember that God chose to reveal Himself to, to the Israelites as a pillar of fire. So we have that too. But the pillar of fire is interesting. The pillar of fire was a sign and a presence to the nation. So it's God and the nation. And the pillar hovered over the camp. But these flames are going over each individual people. Each individual person in the room. So that's a change. That's a change. That God's signifying His presence with individual people. And not just with, with the nation as a whole. It's powerful actually. So how, how do you think about the Spirit? That's, that's, I think, very important for us Christians to think about. How, how do we consider the Spirit? How do we think about it? I would say that He is a mystery. But He makes Himself known. And for a believer, He's, He's strange. But He should not be a stranger. And, and we struggle to understand the Spirit. Because we struggle to understand the Trinity. Because... Because God in His His trinity, in His triune nature, is too big for us. And so we want to understand it because of our Western kind of Greekish minds. We we want to break it down. We want to analogize it. We want to figure it out. But the truth is God's bigger than us. We're not going to figure it out. But but we can accept it. We can love it. We can be open to Him. Right? So... And you hear me even sometimes slip... Actually, then I wasn't, but, but I could. Because sometimes we can call the Holy Spirit it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's one person of the Trinity. Okay? When Jesus talks to the Holy Spirit, what is Jesus calling? Him. When He comes, He will show you. He will do this. He will remind you. He will, he will comfort you. He will, inter- he will intercede for you. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit constantly as a hymn. Um, he's not a personalityless force, right? That's a, that's a common thing that, that we might like to make the analogy today, especially for those of us that are Star Wars fans, to think, yeah, the Holy Spirit's kind of like the force. Well, no, not actually. The Holy Spirit is one person of the Trinity. Um, he comes and goes. He acts with power. He often acts, through, acts with power through people. And I find this remarkable in, uh, in Mark. When Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is doing miracles. And, and some uh, Pharisees see Him. And they, they don't like what He's doing. And so they say, Ah, oh, this man has a demon. Well, Jesus gets really, really upset about that. He, and He doesn't merely say, Oh... I think you've made a mistake. It's not actually a demon. It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, no, this is unforgivable. All kinds of blasphemies can be forgiven. But to call the Holy Spirit a demon, to to misattribute, to to say the things that the Spirit does are evil, or to say that evil things are done by the Spirit, that I won't forgive. That's what Jesus says. How harsh. That's really harsh, folks. Jesus cares about the reputation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, no. Blasphemy against Him, I will not tolerate. I will not forgive. He says, all things can be forgiven, but not that. So, I say that because I hear even, even Christians. Now, the world, of course, we should expect the world to mock. But Christians, we must not. We cannot mock. We cannot take the things that the Spirit does lightly. And we see so much diversity in the body of Christ. And we see people, we see uh, Pentecostal brothers and sisters who, who want to actively pursue uh, very, very dramatic gifts and very dramatic experiences. And then we see people who, who push back against that with such force that they would even mock them. And I would caution us, be careful, brothers and sisters. We cannot do that. We, we cannot go to such an extreme that we try to invent experiences and then call that the Holy Spirit. But we can't deny the power of God when He does act too. We, We have to be cautious. We have to be careful. We have to be respectful of the Spirit and His power. Can you cause the Spirit to move? Can you? Can you pray hard enough to direct Him or to motivate Him? Can you do something to obligate Him to act in a certain way? No, of course not. No, no, we can't do that. But, in the example in Acts shows us, we can obey and we can wait. And how did the Spirit respond to the waiting and the obedient? He came. God poured Him out. So, what can we learn from that? What has He told us to do? We have have the entire Scripture. And we know what He's told us to do. Well, I could probably summarize the task for Christians, after Jesus' ascension, what is our task? To wait for Him to return, eagerly anticipate His return, and while we're waiting, tell everyone we can about, about the Gospel, about the saving grace of Jesus. That's, that's our task. So if we're waiting and being obedient, we should expect the Spirit to come, to empower us, to teach us, to remind us. So that is the first point alright are you obeying these simple things what might God do through you if you were willing to obey let's take a look for just a moment about what he did through Peter so we know from Peter we know from the gospels what kind of man Peter was right And we know what to expect from him he was bold he was the one who stepped out of the boat to come to Jesus he was the one who ran into the empty tomb Where a crucified man had been laid. He ran in. He didn't wait to see if it was safe. He ran in. Peter got some things really, really right. He was the one who made the great confession. When Jesus said, who who do you say that I am? And he said, "Ah, you are the Lord, the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's right, Peter. And he said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father. And the very next thing that happened is Peter got it really wrong. Because Jesus was telling his disciples. I'm going to have to suffer. And I'm going to have to die. And Peter said. No, no, no Lord. Never, never. Like he's going to tell Jesus how it's going to be. (laughs) And so what was Jesus' response to Peter immediately after that? Peter made the most profound confession. And then Peter screwed up. And Jesus said. Get thee behind me Satan. This is Peter. Right? He was brave. He attacked the group of. He attacked a group of soldiers that had come to arrest Jesus. And he was a coward because as soon as that was over, he was trying to to lie to a little girl who thought she recognized him. Right? So this is Peter. Inconsistent, unpredictable, unstable. This is Peter. Now, Peter speaks. And I read you the sermon. Did it sound unstable? No. No. Did it sound unpredictable? Did it sound unclear? Like Peter wasn't really sure what he was saying? No. Why? Because the Spirit had come and filled Peter. And just like Jesus had promised. Jesus promised in John 14. When he was in his disciples with the upper room. He said, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Here's Peter. A few weeks ago, he's trying, to, he's trying to hide from a little girl. This is literally seven weeks later, right? Plus a couple days. And now Peter is preaching a full-on gospel message, explaining, for, explaining prophecy, and I would say reciting prophecy from the Scripture, right? He's, he's going verse, for, verse, verse by verse, word for word, telling what Joel the prophet said, that I will pour out upon my people my spirit. Paul's reciting, or Peter's reciting it and reciting it accurately. It's it's amazing. He's speaking with authority. He's speaking with understanding of the prophecies. Where before he was confused and trying to tell Jesus, no, no, you don't have to suffer. Now he completely gets it, he completely understands, and he's preaching. So, what's his message? Well, he's got good news, bad news, and more good news. (laughs) The good news is the Messiah's come. The one we've been waiting for, he's come. And God has attested that he's the one by his signs. Bad news. You killed him. Way to go. The Messiah came, and what did you do? You you killed him. And it's interesting that he says you killed him by the hands of lawless men. Because who actually killed Jesus physically? It was the Romans. They put him on a cross, not the Jews. But anyone who was there understood why did the Romans do it. They were put up to it by the Jews. And Peter holds them responsible. He doesn't let them off the hook. Even though they didn't physically do the dirty work. Now, Peter's even got some theology in here. Because he's talking about God's plan from the beginning. That Jesus' death was known and planned by God in advance. He doesn't mention it here. But I I recall, if you think back to um, Isaiah 53. It says, it was your will to crush Him. It's, we see that it was God's plan that he would allow his own son to die. And Peter's saying that now. This is the same Peter that said, Oh, no, Lord, you, you'll never have to suffer and die because you're the king. You're the son of God. And you won't suffer. But now what's he saying? No, this was planned in advance, this was God's will. So the, the principle here is that the Holy Spirit calls and empowers believers to speak. Now we aren't all going to give sermons like Peter's sermon all the time. But he empowers us to speak. Right? He empowered Peter in a very powerful way here. But he empowers us. And I want to call out a couple of things about the sermon. What's in the sermon? Well, it's really clear. There's scripture. There's scripture all through this sermon. From multiple places. From Psalms and from the prophets. There's prophecy. There's fulfillment. And there's explanation. Because Peter takes the time to explain This is how this fits. This is why it's relevant. What's not in Peter's sermon? This is interesting to me. There's no personal experience in here. In the sermon at all. This is pure truth from God. This isn't Peter's opinion. This isn't Peter's experience. Now, if anyone has a rich experience to mine from, it's Peter. But that's not in the sermon right now. Now, am I saying that that's not valuable? No, I'm not. Because what we also see in this chapter is that the other believers, when the Spirit came, what were they doing? They were testifying about the mighty acts of God. It doesn't tell us exactly what those mighty acts were. Peter's talking about some of them in the sermon, right? From Scripture. And they, they witnessed Jesus do miracles. But God does mighty acts in us too. And did mighty acts in those believers' lives. Those are valid testimonies. And they should be shared. I want, I want to emphasize here, we, we as believers, as we share the gospel with people, it needs to be based on the truth of Scripture. That's very important. We don't have to be theologians you know, to, the, to the nth degree in order to share the gospel. In fact, all we have to do is really believe that, Jesus, that we trust Jesus for our salvation. But once we, have, once we have gotten there, boy, we should have a hunger for knowing more and, and we should have a hunger to understand more of God's truth. And as we understand more, then our witness gets more powerful and more strong and more true. And, and we want that. So our experience can help because it can, it can let other people relate to us. But our experience is not the basis of the gospel. Our experience only only is useful to, to help other people relate. It's really important to think about this. Um, and I would just say this about our own testimonies. It is God's story that we're allowed to be part of. It's not that we're allowing God to be part of our story. Okay? God's story is the one that matters. But He allows us to be part of it. And that's such a blessing to us. But it's not us having a story but allowing God to be part of that. Really important to remember that. So the third part. I've said... The Spirit comes in power. The Spirit empowers people to speak. And the last part here, and it's a pattern that we try to follow even in our service, um, there's a response, right? We've got got Peter explaining, "This this is what happened. This is what has happened. And we see in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And this is the most natural question for them to ask. Because Peter has just accused them of murder. But not only murder. But murder of the attested Messiah of Israel. It doesn't get any worse. Right? God has promised a Messiah to Israel. For a couple of thousand years now. And when he came. They killed him. Now. It says they were cut to the heart. This is so interesting to see. Because. Because. Why were they cut to the heart? Because they believed Him. They believed what He was saying. This was the work of the Spirit too. The Spirit moved their hearts to understand. This guy's speaking truth. And we are in hot water. We have, we have murdered the Son of God. It could be that some of them recall back to Jesus' parable. Remember Jesus' parable about the, the, the property owner. And how He sent His Son out. Or He sent, he sent servants out. And they killed the servants. So He finally... In desperation to try and resolve things with his tenants, he sent the son, his own son, and they killed him too. Jesus told that parable. And there may have been some of these people in this group that actually were present to hear that. Think of it. Jesus said, yeah, he sent the son, they killed him too. So it's natural that they're thinking, oh my, what shall we do? What shall we do? And the natural thing to think is, is there anything to do? This might be a hopeless case. If I have murdered the Son of God, is there any hope for me? So that's what I mean when I said that Peter brought good news. Yes, the Messiah's come. Bad news, you killed him. But there's still good news. Because it's not over yet. You can repent. You can find forgiveness. And so, so he brings this to them. I, I would compare this for a moment to, uh, to Stephen. And we'll, we'll get this a little a little bit uh, in a few weeks. Probably we'll talk about Stephen again, I think. We talked about him a little bit in Sunday school before. But do you remember Stephen gave an eloquent sermon? Truth, 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 truth. And he, he didn't hold back. And what was the result? They were not cut to the heart. They did not respond and say, oh, Stephen, what shall we do? They killed him. Right? Because there was a difference. The Spirit, for whatever His reason was, did not move them. He did not break their hearts. He did not not cut them. But for these, on this day with Peter, the Spirit moved these people and He cut their hearts. And they said, oh, what can we do? So, the point I want to make here is, Peter was faithful in his preaching. Stephen was faithful in his preaching. The result was different. Why? Because God is a mystery. Right? Why Why is it different? It doesn't matter to us. Our job is to be faithful. To witness. We do the witnessing. We faithfully obey. We wait for the results. And we pray for the harvest. But God moves people. God brings the harvest. He causes the growth. He causes the seed to take root. So. What was the the medicine? What did Peter tell them? Repent and be baptized. And, And so this. Sounds kind of, kind of mechanical. Repent and be baptized. But let's break it down for just a moment. Because this is really, as we find all through Scripture, it comes down to the heart. Just a mechanical action is not, is not the secret to satisfying God. Repenting is admitting that you've been wrong, Admitting that you're guilty. And these guys, just by their question, are admitting, yeah, we get it, we're wrong. To mourn for it. To mourn for the wrong that you've done. To hate the sin and then to turn away from it. And these guys, these these people that are here are saying, Brothers, what should we do? They're cut to the heart and they're ready. They are ready to repent. And Peter says, repent and be baptized. So is this just a matter of getting wet in the proper way? Well, no. Again, it's a matter of the heart. To, To be baptized in a meaningful way is to identify with Christ. It's, you're publicly affirming he's the Messiah, the King of Kings. Even these people who before might have mocked him as he hung on the cross and said, Oh, you know, you're calling out for God, and we'll see if he'll save you now. Right? But now they're saying, Oh, we recognize we were wrong. We we're wrong. So now we're going to say he's the King of Kings, he's the Messiah, he's the chosen one, he's the one who was sent. To be baptized is to embrace that death as God's gift, as a payment for my sin. So that's what they are doing. That's what baptism is. But it's also to embrace His resurrection as the promise of my resurrection later. So this baptism, and and Kevin, the last uh, two weeks ago, two weeks in a row, talked about baptism and the significance of it. That's what it is. We are declaring that Christ is the King. We're publicly affirming for anyone who can see. That, he, that we identify with Him. We belong to Him. That we are embracing His death. And we are embracing His resurrection.
0: Amen.
1: And what was the result that day? 3,000 people added to the church. Because the Spirit came in power. And that's what He wanted to do. Add 3,000 people to the church. Was it because Peter was so, such a great speaker? no. No. It's because the Peter moved, It's because the Spirit moved him. He moved Peter, and he moved all of those people. He was transformed by the Spirit from an unreliable fisherman to become one of the greatest fishers of men. The Holy Spirit calls and empowers believers to act. That was the principle.